Dr. Shirley Holloway. Uh, I uh, presently uh, serve as the immediate past president of NAMI National Board of Directors. And I am just recently the uh, president emeritus of NAMI Alaska. So what inspired you to get involved with NAMI? Well, uh, I had this beautiful daughter. Her name was Kathleen. And uh, she lived uh, with bipolar. And she had a rather rough time. Her journey was pretty, pretty tumultuous. And uh, unfortunately, uh, she ultimately uh, took her own life uh, by suicide and uh, rocked our foundation, our family, me, my husband, her siblings. And, uh, and I was uh, working on the memorial and I, uh, I really didn't want flowers, but I wanted to reach out and see if I could find an organization that uh, maybe helped or worked with people who lived with uh, mental, con mental health conditions. So I called a couple of colleagues and um, they gave me a list of, of organizations and one of them was NAMI Anchorage. And so I called NAMI Anchorage and, uh, and talked with them. And I said, would it be all right if I, in the obituary, I had uh, folks donate to you after they told me what they did and how they did it, which was intriguing and interesting to me. And I thought, gee, wish I'd found these people before. And in a kind of a last minute thought, I said, well, do you ever talk to families who've gone through this kind of experience? And she said, the, the executive director said, well, not very often, but, you know, we could. And I said, would, would you consider coming to my home and talking to my family about uh, mental health, suicide, et cetera, et cetera? And she said, well, you know what? I'd be happy to do that. So she brought her um, board chair uh, the chair of the, the uh, board of directors for NAMI Anchorage. And they both had lived with, both lived with a mental health condition. And uh, they had both contemplated suicide through their journey. And they were absolutely, uh, I cannot tell you how wonderful they were. They were compassionate, they were informative, they took the edge off of a lot of things. I was particularly concerned about her children, about you know feeling responsible in some way. And anyway, they did such a, a great job of talking carefully, thoughtfully, and compassionately to us. And so when they stayed about an hour and a half and almost two hours, and I walked him to the door and I said, you know, if there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. And so evidently the, the ED must have Googled me or something because what wasn't even a month later, I got this call and she said, would you ever consider being on the NAMI Anchorage Board of Directors? And I said, well, I would, I would, I would consider doing that. So I, I joined NAMI and actually NAMI has become I think part of my recovery, being able to walk that journey. And basically, you know, I don't want other families to have to live through this experience. And I, I sincerely believe had we found NAMI early on, no doctor, no clinician, no psychiatrist, nobody ever said, do you know about NAMI? I think if we'd had the family to family class, I think if Kathleen could have had been in a peer support group, 
other people that were living with the same kinds of things she was living with, maybe the result would have been different. I don't know that, but I feel in my heart, that's why I'm committed to NAMI and why I do this work. You touched on it a little bit, but how does helping families help your own healing process? I think I see the hope. Um, you know, there's in in all of the people that we interacted with with Kathleen's journey, people never talked about recovery, hmm. and they never talked about hope, and they never uh, there wasn't much encouragement that things would ever get better. And when I found Nami. I found people living with mental conditions and families who had all kinds of hope. And so I learned, I learned from these folks. And then consequently, when I interact with families, I too hope now that I am a, a communicator of, there is hope and there is a recovery. And it's not easy and it's not simple, but it, it's possible. So I think, it, it helped me to come to that realization that not all people who live with mental health conditions have to live a life of despair. And, and that was very reassuring to me. And you were uh, the national uh, board chair for NAMI. How was it just talking to other chapters since you know the 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 country's huge so everyone's going through different type of things how was it you know just learning from these chapters oh you know it's so wonderful you know nami is the largest grassroots mental health organization in the united states we have 48 states and about 650 affiliates and the the real work gets done at that affiliate level that's where the people, you know, primarily volunteers who have ever, either are family members of someone who lived with a mental health condition or a, a person who lives with mental health condition, volunteer and give our programs. So the real work, the real change, the real hope comes through those affiliates. And uh, the national office and the state offices are responsible for providing the training and the support to help people to deliver those programs. So where the rubber hits the road is at the affiliate level where people are delivering, you know, support groups and educational programs and, and, and advocacy as well. And so um, when you get a chance to, to visit with people all over this United States who care about this issue and are doing hard work around this issue, it's inspiring. I'm telling you, it's absolutely inspiring. And some of them are doing it on a shoestring. They have very little money, but those volunteers are com are really committed and dedicated to this work. And so for me, uh, serving as the president of the board and being on the board now as immediate past president, and this is my eighth year associated with the national board, it has been such a joy for me and such a learning experience to have the opportunity to get to know uh, so many people across this United States who care about this issue. And I think we're growing, we're growing in, in such significant ways. In one way, you know, we're really understanding, uh, and I think the pandemic has so much to do with this, Mike, is the uh, youth, our youth and young adults 
So, you know, that's a huge issue and we're really moving into that space. And I'm excited about that. We, we added uh, two uh, young adults to our board uh, to, to, to get that voice. And, um, and so I'm excited about that. So lots of, lots of good things are happening. They're not easy They're And, but I think there's more openness now to discuss mental health than there's ever been. The stigma is still there, but I think it's greatly reduced. And I think it's greatly reduced to young, our young people. I'm amazed at how open uh, young people are about mental health and they, and how they want to help their own peers. I know for me, I live with a bipolar disorder too, and I wasn't diagnosed till I was uh, 37. So I was much older and, you know, I didn't say anything for a few years because I felt like it's a negative and stuff like that. But talking to kids, they are so open. So are you positive for, you know, the future of just talking about mental health? Yes, I think, I think, I, you know, the I think that the future is very bright because we've opened that 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 secrecy, that dark place, and we've opened it and we're shining the light on it. And we're shining the light on it that it impacts all kinds of people, all social economic groups, all racial groups. You know, no one no one is uh can say within their probably their community or even family unit that there's nobody impacted by by mental health. And, you know, we say there's no, you know, you can't have physical health without mental health. It's one package. And uh, so we have to, we have to open that door. I love, I think it's one of the Kennedys who said, you know, we have, doctors have to stop treating us from the neck down. They have to treat the whole person, they have to right. add the head, head to it. And, and that's really true. And the young people, I think, are kind of leading the way because of their openness and their willingness to talk about this issue. So I, I'm very hopeful for the future of, of a nation that pays attention to people's mental health and has a respect that when people live with a mental health condition, it's not even different from a, a physical condition. It's just in the brain and, uh, and, and people can't see it, but it's there and it's real and we have to deal with it and we have to deal with it with compassion and treatment and, and support. What do you do to help your own mental health? Oh, that's a very good question, Mike. Well, I have to tell you, on you know, on complete transparency, I just lost my husband of fifty plus years a few months ago, so I have been paying attention to my mental health, uh, and uh, I have friends and family that are incredibly supportive and have been wonderful, and so I've leaned leaned on them heavily. I have a, a fabulous family um, and a group of friends that care about me very much. And that's been very helpful. But I've I've tried to get back into a routine of, uh, I was just reading a book before you got on called Supercharge Your Sleep. And uh, it's a very good book. My, my friend, uh, one of my NAMI friends sent it to me. And, um, and it, it uh, it has some really good good messages in there, but basically I've tried to develop a, the best healthy lifestyle I can. I'm trying to exercise every day. I have a recumbent bike and um, I'm 84 years old, by the way. And, oh, wow. uh, and so you I look ride, great. Oh, thank you. I ride my recumbent bike uh, uh, every morning. I try every morning to ride my recumbent bike. I'm trying to 
do all the things we know that help us both physically and mentally, and that is exercise, eat right, uh, take care of uh, take care of your your needs as best you can. Um, I have uh, I meditate, and uh, I read a lot, and I'm still very involved with my volunteer work, and I also do continue to do some consulting work uh, for uh, colleges and and school districts, uh, primarily working with their boards. That's part of my work that I do. My husband would say, oh, that's the work you get paid for. <laughs> right. But all the rest of it is volunteer. But uh, but I'm doing less and less of that and trying to enjoy life more and more. So I guess I'm paying attention to uh, uh, getting up out of bed every day and making every day a good day and a productive day and thinking about it very actively about I'm going to make this a good day and um, yeah so I think that's the best I can do what is it or some of the things you've learned from your husband oh my word <laughs> well we we worked together 52 years and you know when you lose your partner of that many years there's this huge huge hole in your heart and in your environment and living alone I you know been a long time since I've been alone. Uh, but one of the things I learned about him is courage. I I don't know if I would have ever been as brave as he was. Once he got the, uh, the diagnosis, he had lung cancer, and he made the determination that he would not have any treatment. And his philosophy was, I have lived a wonderful life, and I am blessed in every way possible. And I'm going to go out the way I'm, I I want to go. And I'm not going to go through chemo. And I'm not going to go through radiation. I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm going to enjoy my family and and have the best days I can till the end. And he did. And I, um, because we've watched many of our, you know, when you're in this age group, you watch many of your friends who choose to have those kinds of treatments. And sometimes it just, it's, pretty sad to see how poorly they feel right up to the end so anyway so he had a lot of courage and he had a great sense of humor which I missed terribly and um and and he made life so much fun so I, I learned a lot from him we were a great team we worked together for many years we met in Alaska this is my, this year is my 53rd year of living in Alaska oh wow that that is a long time <laughs> yeah it's a long time it's a beautiful state i love it yeah yeah where do you live mike uh, i'm in the washington dc area oh you are you're in the, you're in the capital yes so it, it's busy here at times oh boy i guess yeah you're in the, you're in the thick of it as they say <laughs> so what would you say to anyone going through a tough time I would say that uh, depending on your spiritual life, that that can be a center for a lot of people, uh, that whatever that spiritual life looks like for you, hang on to it. I would say that um, uh, pull your friends or family closer to you and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Um, I was reading, um, I'm reading, uh, I have this little book, it's called Healing After Loss. And there's a, a, a wonderful little um, phrase in there about don't be don't be afraid uh, 
to, to shed your tears in front of other people because it's actually a gift because you're demonstrating your vulnerability. Um, I would say that uh, your spiritual life, your friends, your supports, whatever your support system is, use it. Uh, if you need help, get it. You know, there's some wonderful peer support. There's grief support. There's like we have a peer to peer support. We have family support groups. And um, in some cases we have done grief support groups. So find, find a place where you can become centered and share your grief and know that the grief is a journey and not everybody's journey is going to be the same and it's going to come in waves and, and uh, can become hit you unexpectedly, but it's um, it is a journey and it can last a long, long time and it can be painful, but it can also be rejoicing in the life that you lost and the, the memories you carry.